There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to They Walk Among Us a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This feature-length bonus episode is part one of a two-part case. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. Detective Superintendent Stephen Fulcher had been with the police force for 25 years. Following a missing persons appeal in 2011 that quickly unravelled into a double murder inquiry, he couldn't have imagined that his actions to find the truth would not only bring about the end of his career, but almost cost him his life. A Confession, Part 1 Rebecca Godden-Edwards had a difficult upbringing. When she was six, her parents Karen and John separated. While divorce is not uncommon, and her older brother Stephen was at an age where he could understand what was happening, Rebecca, or Becky as she was more commonly known, struggled to come to terms with the reasons for her father leaving. She still excelled at even Swindon Primary School, but her time at Commonwealth Secondary was not without its problems. She was the subject of taunts from bullies. Karen did as much as any mother could, often arranging meetings with the faculty to understand what could be done. But little changed. The insults continued, and Becky became more withdrawn. The verbal taunts became physical assaults and were no longer contained within the school's walls. On one occasion, Becky returned home after she had been attacked. She rushed upstairs to her room and later came down with the word hate carved into her arm. At 13, she tried to commit suicide. A few years later, Becky's mother Karen married a man called Charlie Edwards. Although this briefly provided some stability for the teenager, the bullying was constant and she was eventually removed from school altogether, her mother deciding she would be homeschooled. Becky then attended an education facility, now known as the Stratton Education Centre, 
where things seemed to be looking up. She was ready for her GCSEs, and a teacher saw a vast improvement in her grades. Though still emotionally vulnerable from the struggle she faced in her formative years, and as Karen would later tell reporters, Becky fell in with the wrong crowd and turned to drugs. Pieces of tinfoil with brown markings were found around the house, and Karen slowly realised that her daughter was using heroin. Karen and Charlie did what they could, spoke to drugs charities and even managed to get Becky into a private rehabilitation centre. Becky briefly managed to get herself clean and find a job, but the pull of her addiction was too much. She started to disappear, at first for days, then weeks at a time. When things became difficult, she would get in touch with her family, who would always come and collect her. This was usually her mother, stepfather, aunt or brother Stephen. Her mother would later say of Becky, Life was very tough for us all, and we witnessed many, many awful things that we would not wish on any parent. She left school and her life spiralled, spiralled into some very dark places to feed her addiction. She became a very, very different person. In an attempt to try and control the amount of drugs Becky was taking, Karen became desperate. She later told Channel 4 News, I went out and bought heroin. Becky was with me. I had all the contacts via Becky, and I would ring them up and I would go and buy the heroin, much against my son and my husband's disgust, because she needed it, and rather than her go and get it, anything could have happened to her, so rather than that, I would go and get it. And then I knew how much she was having, and I could control it. By buying the drugs, Karen was trying to both wean her daughter off them, and protect her from the people that sold it. When she was 20, Becky would see her family for the last time. She had been a lookout for a gang that had robbed a pub in Lichlade. She was forced to help as she was threatened by her boyfriend. Police eventually caught up with them and told Becky that she could walk free if she testified against her boyfriend, but she wouldn't. She was arrested and eventually convicted, though served no jail time. Becky was required to stay at home with her mother, although Karen's request that her daughter be made to wear an electronic tag was denied. On the way home from court, she told her mother that she wanted to see her boyfriend. After taking her there for what she thought would be a brief conversation, Karen was told by Becky that she needed to sort herself out. She couldn't face her mother having to watch her go through the throes of drug addiction. Becky's last words to her mother were, Mum, I'm going to stop here. I have to get myself sorted, and then I will come home. That was December 17th, 2002. Karen never saw Becky again, though she was seen by a policeman in Swindon ten days later. After she had cut ties with her family, they weren't sure where Becky was. Following a period of no contact, Karen hoped she might be reunited with her daughter, so reached out to local hospitals and charities. Occasionally Karen would be told by those close to the family that they thought they had seen Becky, 
so she believed when her daughter got clean, she would one day come home. Every year, Karen would buy her daughter birthday and Christmas gifts so that when Becky finally returned, Karen could show her how much she had been missed. Becky's mother contacted the missing persons helpline in 2007, as she had not spoken to her daughter in quite a few years. By now, she was worried. In 2009, she heard about a potential sighting of Becky from a family friend, but she never managed to track her down. It wouldn't be until April 4, 2011, what would have been Becky's 29th birthday and nearly eight and a half years since her mother had last seen her, that the police would arrive on Karen's doorstep with some news about her daughter. On the evening of Friday, March 18th, 2011, 22-year-old office administrator Sean O'Callaghan went out for a meal with some friends at the Harvester on Drove Road in Swindon. The friends laughed, drank and ate before travelling half a mile south, having drinks at The Spot and Baker Street, before arriving at their final stop, Suju. The Japanese-themed nightclub located in Swindon's Old Town is a popular venue for partygoers with hundreds of people moving through its doors during both weeknights and weekends. John messaged her boyfriend Kevin Reap at 1.24 in the morning, saying, Where are you? He had been out to the Cheltenham races with friends and returned to the home they shared around 10.30pm, retiring to bed. The couple had moved in together two months earlier to a property just half a mile north of the nightclub. At 3.24am, realising Sean had not returned home, he sent her a message which read, I'm worried, but he never received a response. He texted again at 4.40am simply writing, worried. He then persistently tried to get in touch, but still no response. She rarely, if ever, disappeared, always telling someone where she was. Kevin spoke with Sean's brother Liam, telling him that his girlfriend had not come home. Liam then got in touch with his mother Elaine to tell her what had happened. She had been away with her partner Pete on that Friday night. The authorities were informed around 10 minutes to 10 on Saturday morning with Wiltshire police appealing through the local press requesting that if anyone had seen Sean to please contact them immediately. They could call either the constabulary directly or report any information anonymously to Crime Stoppers. Although 24 hours had not passed, a missing persons appeal was filed as Sean's disappearance was so out of character. It wasn't until Saturday night that Sean's family really started to worry. Earlier, they had perhaps thought she had stayed over at a friend's. They had been calling her phone all day. However, it went straight to voicemail at 2.36pm. The phone had possibly ran out of battery. Sean was described as white, 5 foot 3 inches tall, medium build, 
brown hair and green eyes. On the night of her disappearance, she was wearing a grey dress, black bolero-style jacket, dark-coloured tights, flat boots, and had a dark handbag with a beige flower attached. She was last seen in the early hours of Saturday, March 19th, when she left Suju on the high street. However, no one had seen or heard from the office worker since. Chan's family were unaware of any travel plan she might have had, and there appeared to be nothing in her personal life that would give her cause to leave or run away. Her Facebook account, which she often updated, had not been used since earlier in the day on Friday. Two and a half years prior, Shan had been the victim of an unprovoked assault in the toilets of the Suju nightclub. Another woman, Amanda Langton, had struck Shan for merely looking at her. What followed was a series of separate assaults which left the victim unconscious with cuts and bruises to her face and injuries to her body. Langton could not recall the attack and could not provide any reason to the court as to why she struck Sean. She was ordered to pay £100 compensation and required to carry out a 12-month community order with 250 hours of unpaid work. While the incidents looked to be unconnected, it was still something that was raising some questions. A spokesman for Wiltshire Police said, We are aware of a previous assault we are very much focusing on the here and now. It is not a focus of the investigation at the moment. The attack did not seem to have had a lasting effect on Sean. One of Sean's former teachers who had seen her a few weeks earlier told the press she was in a, quote, really positive frame of mind and really happy. She was described as bubbly and cheeky by her family and had shown no outward signs of sadness or given any indication as to why she might choose to disappear. Via the appeal, authorities indicated that they would be increasing a police presence throughout Swindon. In an interview, Chief Inspector Mike Jones said, I would also like to take this opportunity to appeal directly to Sean and ask her to make contact with her family or police to let us know that she is okay. It was hoped the situation would end in a positive outcome, with Chan being found alive and well. A mobile police unit was set up opposite the Suju nightclub on the Market Square car park, so anyone with information about Shan's disappearance could see an officer in person. It was stressed that any information would be treated in the strictest confidence and the public were asked to pass on any information no matter how trivial it might seem. Shoppers were greeted with the sight of search teams combing through bins and drains around the nightclub before a noticeable police presence made its way to Lawns Park. Only a few hundred metres from the nightclub, the park is often frequented by joggers and dog walkers. It can be accessed by foot through a gated walkway, or if driving by two single-lane roads, Borders Mews or Charlotte Mews. However, the driver would need to leave their vehicle in a residential car park and scale a low stone wall to gain entry. Wearing gloves and protective clothing, over a dozen officers were seen scouring the undergrowth and hedges. Further search teams were spotted around other nearby car parks and shops. 
a shopper was interviewed and said, You go to the co-op and see police searching in all the hedges. It makes you think it can happen anywhere. A member of the search team who did not wish to be named stated, It's one of those situations where you don't know if you found anything until you've found it. The investigation then shifted its focus nearly 14 miles south to Savanac Forest, an area of land between Marlborough and Hungerford spanning 4,500 acres. At precisely 3.24am, telephone masks placed Sean's mobile phone in the forest more than half an hour after she was seen leaving the Suju nightclub just before 3am. At 3.24am, her boyfriend had sent her a text message saying he was worried, and through cell tower analysis from a mast in Cadley, the message enabled officers to track the phone to an area of Savanac Forest. Though the LG E900 Optimus mobile phone had been activated, the use of cell towers would only provide police with a broad area of focus, not an exact location, in this case, covering six and a half miles. With this information, Detective Superintendent Stephen Fulcher, who was leading the inquiry and the 60 officers working the case, gathered that if Sean were in possession of the phone, she would have had to have made the journey by car. She could not have travelled that far by foot in such a short space of time. D.S. Fulcher spoke with the press. He said, In particular, I'm trying to establish Sean's movements between 3.15am and 4am on Saturday morning in the area of Savanac Forest. I would like anyone who saw her or any vehicles, especially in the area of Savanac Forest, where there are likely to have been only a small number of vehicles at that time of night, to make contact with police. D.S. Fulcher insisted that any information, no matter how unimportant it might seem, could be the vital clue to tracking Sean O'Callaghan's whereabouts. Officers combed the area well into the night, in the hope they would find something. The senior investigating officer had been part of the police force for 25 years, the last date with the Wiltshire Constabulary, having served with Sussex Police prior to that. At 44, Fulcher had been involved in over 50 major inquiries that included murder, serious crime and multiple homicides. He joined the force at 21, and quickly worked his way up the ranks with an unblemished record. He was well versed in police procedure and the ideal candidate to lead the investigation. It had been over two days since Sean had disappeared, and while police continued in their search, on Monday, March 21st at 3pm, a press conference was held at Gable Cross Police Station. Sean's boyfriend Kevin Reap fought back the tears as he made an emotional plea for further information that might lead to his partner being found. Kevin, who had been cleared by the investigation, had not been out with his girlfriend on the day before she disappeared, though expected her to return home. As he gave his statement, he was supported by Sean's parents, Mick and Elaine, along with her siblings. She's been missing now for over two days and it's not like her not to come home or, ca- or contact any of us for such a long time. We all want to know where Sean is 
and we want her home safe and well. Shan is a bubbly, lively person who is instantly liked by everyone she meets. She's very close to her family and has lots of friends. We'd like to thank all of the people who have shown their support and helped search for Shan. Their kind words and gestures have been a great help to us. Someone out there must have seen or know where she is and we just want them to come forward and contact the police. This is a terrible time for all of us and we are praying for Shan's safe return. If Sean is listening and doesn't want to contact us, I beg her to at least ring the police. Police began to piece together Sean's last movements. Witnesses confirmed that Sean had consumed alcohol and would likely have travelled on foot given the short distance from the nightclub to her home. Through the use of CCTV captured in the club, detectives spotted Sean who was separated from her friends around 1.30am while they were dancing. She appeared to be happy. She spoke to other partygoers before leaving alone through the main entrance onto the high street shortly before 3am. Once outside, she turned left towards Wood Street. A further public appeal came from DS Fulcher, who asked business owners to get in touch with police. He asked them to provide any CCTV footage they captured in the early hours of Saturday, March 19th. He also sought to understand what traffic had moved through the area close to the club at the time of Sean's disappearance, and near Savanac Forest where her mobile phone was later identified. In light of Sean's disappearance, the detective reminded the public of their personal safety, saying, quote, Stay with friends and try not to walk alone. A woman in her late 20s who did not wish to be named came forward to police after two men had attempted to coax her into their car on Saturday evening, the same day Sean disappeared. She said, It was pretty scary and shook me up a bit, but I didn't think much of it until Sean disappeared. At the time, Sean's parents were slowly starting to think that she was being held somewhere against her will. With the investigation well underway, an anonymous donor offered a reward of £20,000 to anyone who provided information that led to Sean O'Callaghan being found. Sean's friends also set up a Facebook group called Help Find Sean O'Callaghan, which, within 48 hours of her disappearance, had already reached more than 9,000 people. The message of Sean's disappearance was being heard far and wide as celebrities retweeted her missing poster and thousands of social media users changed their profile picture to that of the missing woman. Locals offered their support by leafleting and posting flyers throughout Old Town. Both staff at Shan's workplace and the congregation at the Holy Rood Church provided what support they could. Due to the sheer size of Savanac Forest, police publicly announced they would accept the help of members of the public who wished to aid in the search for clues. Guidance from Wiltshire Police advised anyone looking to help would need to bring identification with them. They would be signed in and out and would be told which area to search. Also, they were explicitly reminded, if you find anything, it is very important that you do not touch it. Report to a police officer immediately.
Wiltshire police were shocked as they did not expect such a large turnout. The public arrived by coach in their hundreds to help. It's just a horrible feeling knowing that the girl that's the same age as me, it can happen to people, it's horrible. I hope I don't find her, but then I hope I do. She's always seems to be you know, quite fun, up, up for a laugh kind of girl, so hopefully we can bring her back. It's quite overwhelming in a sense. But, um... By March 22nd, so many locals appeared that soon it reached a point where the police had to start sending people home. With the news of volunteers being sent away from Savanak, rumours started to circulate there might have been a significant discovery. Police were quick to dispel the rumour, wanting to make it clear that nothing had been found, though still appealed for volunteers to help the next day. As the search began at 10.30 on the morning of Wednesday, March 23rd, the hundreds of volunteers, young and old, were transported by buses, joined by tracker dogs, a team of specialist officers, three dozen members of the Wiltshire Search and Rescue, and members of the international charity Search and Rescue Assistance in Disaster. The Salvation Army even attended, providing refreshments for the ever-increasing crowds that had come to help. Most of the volunteers did not know Sean, though had seen the news coverage and felt they should come along. Teams of ten volunteers were each matched to a police officer as they systematically combed through sections of woodland. As the turnout was unprecedented, the problem was not only managing the scene, but also such a large volume of volunteers. The response was overwhelming, with the community coming together, praying to find something that might point to Sean being alive. Another member of the search party who lived near the forest was interviewed and said, This is the least we can do. We know Savanak pretty well. It could be something as small as a footprint, or it could be massive. At the end of the day, you could have a half a percent chance of finding anything, but that's just us. With everyone else there, it all adds up. It's a bit scary, but if it was you, you'd want as many people as possible. Detective Superintendent Fulcher thanked volunteers for their time, saying, The public have been fantastic in support of their search for Sean O'Callaghan, and I'm very grateful. I've been able to use new technological techniques to provide a tighter search parameter and have been able to rule out large areas of the six and a half mile radius we have all been searching. As locals grew concerned that perhaps something like this might happen again, Bob Edge, Chief Inspector for Wiltshire Police said, We do have one of the lowest crime rates in the country and isolated incidents like these are very rare within Swindon and the rest of the county. He went on to say, I am also aware that there are a number of stories circulating on the internet regarding connection with other possible incidents, and users need to be mindful that the accuracy of such entries cannot be relied on. A candlelit vigil was held at St Barnabas Church in Gorse Hill on the evening of March 23rd. Prayers were said by 200 people who gathered to show their support. As many wiped away tears, some simply buried their heads in their hands 
overcome with emotion. After a period of reflection, they spoke the Lord's Prayer, and on their way out of the church, hundreds of supporters gathered to take posters and flyers to distribute. Canon Alistair Stevenson, who organised the vigil, told those present, Lighting a candle is a prayer on our behalf. They will remain burning long after you leave here. Sean's family were overwhelmed with the support they had received from locals and people further afield, thanking everyone for their efforts in trying to track down Sean. A statement from the family read, We have been so touched by the support shown by the community that we wanted to express our thanks. The sheer numbers of people who have given up their time to help search for Sean and distribute appeal posters are overwhelming and we couldn't ask for better support from the public, police and media. We are aware of the reward that has been offered and we are very grateful. We hope that this might help someone come forward with information to help the police find her. This is an extremely difficult time for us, and we continue to hope and pray that our beautiful girl is found soon. The reward for information on the whereabouts of Sean O'Callaghan was soon doubled. A new anonymous donor matched the first, and the reward reached £40,000. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. So far, police had described what Sean was wearing when she disappeared, though it was not until the fourth day of the investigation that they revealed the contents of her handbag in the hope that someone might have come into contact with the items. The bag itself was described as a large dark coloured bag with a beige flower on the side. The bag was believed to have contained a multi-coloured front door key covered in floral patterns, lip gloss, a yellow plastic Kinder Egg casing that held a toy animal with a furry belly, a Tesco club card key fob and a black car key with the body wrapped in yellow insulation tape. Police also believed she was wearing or carrying a DKNY watch. As hundreds of volunteers had been helping search Savanac Forest where Sean's mobile phone had been traced, those friends of the family were keen to help in any way they could. Friends of Sean's boyfriend Kevin Reap decided they would print t-shirts that pictured an image of Sean to raise awareness throughout Swindon. Sally Chapman and Zoe Cook had approached the police with the idea and were given the green light 
so had plans to have them all printed by the end of the week. As the search continued, a break in the case came when an urgent appeal was made for a green Toyota Avensis estate. The vehicle had markings suggesting it was a taxi. DS Fulcher appealed for anyone who had seen the car travelling between Swindon and Savernac during the hours of 3am to 4am and 12pm to 9pm on Saturday, March 19th, 2011. When interviewed about the appeal, Fulcher refused to discuss the precise connection between the car and the missing woman, though revealed that he was, quote, very close to identifying Sean O'Callaghan's whereabouts. Almost immediately after the appeal, it was reported that a green car matching the same description as the one issued by police had been seen being towed away. Before being impounded, the vehicle had been parked in the car park of an Asda superstore at the Orbital Shopping Centre, around five and a half miles north of the Suju nightclub. Little was known about the owner, and police would refuse to comment as to whether any arrests had been made. Chief Superintendent Steve Headley provided an update. It is a significant stage in this difficult inquiry. Our priority is to find Sean, and we are doing all that we can to do that. As you can imagine, this is an exceptionally busy time for us, my officers, and we will update you as soon as we can. On behalf of Detective Superintendent Steve Fulcher, I'd like to thank you for your help and also the public. But at this time, our thoughts remain with Sean and her family. It was reported that at 1pm that day on March 24, 2011, police had made an arrest. A 47-year-old man had been taken into custody on suspicion of kidnapping Sean O'Callaghan. Again, details about the arrest were scanned, though a property on Ashbury Avenue in Nyth three miles northeast from where Sean was last seen outside Suju, was sealed off after officers in full forensic clothing were seen entering. The press were not sure if he had been arrested at the Azada car park or at the home on Ashbury Avenue. A white tent was erected in the garden of the semi-detached property as several police vans were parked outside. That same day, only hours later, police held a press conference from Gable Cross Police Station. DS Fulcher spoke in a commanding voice, but looked visibly moved. The location of two bodies have been identified to me uh, by this individual, uh, one of whom has yet to be identified formally, but I'm quite clear, is Sean. I've informed Sean's um, family, who are obviously deeply distressed, and I'd ask you, please, to give them some time and space to come to terms with what's happened. Having found these bodies, you'll appreciate that I'm under um, extreme pressure to undertake certain um, actions and procedures. And what I'd really ask you to do is to give me some time to enable me to recover these bodies with the dignity and respect that they deserve. What had begun as a missing person's appeal had quickly turned into a double murder inquiry. The man police arrested was identified as father of three Christopher Halliwell and while in the custody of D.S. Fulcher, 
the pair had visited two separate locations believed to be linked to the murders. Halliwell had worked for Five Star, a private hire taxi firm. As the news broke, other taxi drivers spoke of their shock and horror at what had happened. With the weekend fast approaching, local taxi firms were quick to assure the public that CRB checks were carried out on all drivers. In spite of an arrest, it did not stop the fear and panic that was slowly building. Halliwell remained in police custody, suspected of having committed two murders, although at the time police were unaware as to the identity of the other victim. Following the news that someone had been arrested in connection with Sean's death, a sea of flowers, candles and condolences lined the entrance to the Suju nightclub, left by friends and members of the public looking to pay their respects. A former teacher of Shan's who was interviewed spoke of a special girl who would be sorely missed. Ruth Farrow said, Shan left Dorkin in 2004 and I was lucky enough to teach her English in her last year at the school. She was conscientious, taking her studies seriously, but was also great fun to have around. There was always a smile on her face. She is remembered by many of Dawkins' staff because she was quite simply a pleasure to teach. Her death has cast a shadow over the school, as it has the town, and her hearts go out to her friends and family. A close friend of Sean's, Emma Shrewry, who helped light the candles outside of Suju's, was hoping Sean would be found. I loved her to bits and will never stop thinking about her, she said. She was supposed to be coming to my daughter's christening the next day. I was ringing her phone thinking she would answer. With a suspect in custody, Police and forensic experts dressed in all-white all-in-one suits continued to work the scene where Sean's body had been found. The discovery was made in an area of land off the B4507, nearly 14 miles north of Swindon, near Ruffington in Oxfordshire. A one-sided tent had been erected off the side of the road and all traffic in the surrounding area was diverted. As police stopped motorists to question them if they had seen anything, forensic teams carried out a fingertip search of the field nearby, methodically combing the area for any evidence. Police were also searching a second area in connection with the other victim, who had yet to be identified. If the words of a man in custody are to be believed, another body is buried in this field. Police are clearly taking the information seriously, but won't be drawn on the identity of a second possible victim. A team of over a dozen officers and forensic experts were conducting the search of the spot which lies among the rolling fields of Eastleach, around 20 miles north of Swindon. The police had been searching through the night and had now employed a mechanical digger to excavate two trenches in the corner of the field after removing part of a dry stone wall. While police had received relatively specific detail from Christopher Halliwell, who was currently in custody, no body had yet been found. 
D.S. Fulcher addressed the media regarding the information they had received from the suspect. In connection with the second location, examination happened through the night. It's a very painstaking and slow process to ascertain whether there is a second body. Along with the two sites being scoured by police, Savanak Forest still remained part of the ongoing inquiry. Hundreds of members of the public, along with Sean's boyfriend and friends, aided in the search efforts, targeting areas that police analysis determined to be hot spots, as fingertip searches were carried out on smaller areas of woodland. After Halliwell's arrest, there was a considerable police presence at his home on Ashbury Avenue. The two-storey property was cordoned off with several uniformed officers standing guard. On the driveway where Halliwell's taxi would have been parked stood a white tent, a constant flow of forensic experts coming and going. The considerable amount of activity was unusual for Ashbury Avenue. One neighbour who asked to remain anonymous said, I would have been happy for my daughter to get in his taxi and she is 20. No one wants this happening on their doorstep. Another resident stated, I'm absolutely shocked. He was a really smashing bloke. He used to put my dustbin out and took it back in when I was away. He's probably lived there about four or five years. And as far as I know, he's always been a taxi driver. He was a hard working man. He was always working on his car. At a further press conference... D.S. Fulcher confirmed that Sean's family had formally identified her body. He had decided to be the one to break the devastating news in person. Further CCTV was recovered um, in the parameters going down um, each way in the high street in Old Town in Swindon. Um, a particular piece of CCTV recovered that shows a vehicle passing Sean and then coming back and stopping by her in the high street and uh, subsequent um, inquiries uh, indicated to me that this was likely to be a green Toyota Avensis estate with taxi markings. Um, with further inquiries, I was able to identify uh, that driver, uh, the driver of that vehicle, and you recall on Thursday at about 11, um, an individual was arrested at Asda's in Swindon, uh, being arrested on suspicion of kidnapping Sean. Uh, this individu- individual was then interviewed uh, by me, um, and during the course of that interview, he indicated to me where Sean's body was. Uh, Sean's body has since been successfully recovered. Formal identification was carried out by Sean's family last night. A post mortem has been done. Further tests are still required to determine the cause of death in explicit terms, and this may take some time. Um, At this time, there is no indication that Sean was sexually assaulted. This individual also indicated uh, to me during this interview that he killed a young woman at some point between 2003 and 2005, He couldn't be specific about the dates or the year, but he was able to give me the exact location of the body. 
he told me that a young woman uh, had been taken by him uh, from the Swindon area. Since we spoke last, officers have uh, began work to recover um, this second body, and this morning, officers have found remains which we believe to be human at the location at East Beach. The method through which police attract Halliwell down was by sifting through an incredibly large amount of CCTV footage. One camera in the high street spotted a taxi passing Sean and doubling back to her location as she walked past the Goddard Arms in the high street at 2.57am. Frustratingly, a flash of light obscured the footage, and once the picture came back into focus, Sean had vanished as the car drove off. They could confirm the make and model of the car though, a dark-coloured Toyota Avensis. It was only by chance that another police car which was driving on the opposite side of the road crossed paths with the Avensis, and detectives spotted this on CCTV. The police car was fitted with ANPR cameras, and the investigation now had a number plate and the company the driver worked for, Five Star. Once the vehicle was identified, this pointed them to 47-year-old Christopher Halliwell, who was arrested on the Thursday morning. An application was made to Swindon Magistrates Court to extend the time Wiltshire Police could hold Halliwell for questioning to understand the further details of his crimes. The following day, Christopher Halliwell was charged with the murder of Sean O'Callaghan. In a statement issued by both the Crown Prosecution Service and Wiltshire Police, District Crown Prosecutor with CPS Wiltshire Simon Brenchley said, quote, Having reviewed the evidence, I am satisfied that there is sufficient evidence to charge him, and it is in the public interest to do so. I must remind the media to take care in reporting events surrounding the case. Mr. Halliwell has been charged with a serious offence and is entitled to a fair trial. It is extremely important that nothing should be reported which could prejudice any trial. Halliwell remained at Gable Cross Police Station until he appeared at Swindon Magistrates Court on March 28th to face the murder charge. As he emerged from the cells dressed in a dark suit and a blue and white striped shirt, Halliwell smirked. Throughout the hearing he looked unemotional and spoke only to confirm his name and address. An application for bail was not made, and Chief Magistrate Angus McPherson remanded Halliwell in custody until a further hearing at Bristol Crown Court. There were shouts and threats made from the public gallery of courtroom number two. The scene outside the magistrate's court descended into chaos as a large group of around 100 people had gathered. Over two dozen uniformed officers were required to hold back onlookers as under a blue blanket, Halliwell was marched to a police van. Shouts of abuse and threats of violence were heard from the crowd, with two men being restrained after they broke free from the officers and started to kick the van as it drove away. Further members of the public chased the convoy down the street. Get back! 
The same evening that Christopher Halliwell was charged, thousands of members of the public had gathered to pay tribute to a young woman who had her life tragically cut short. Queues of people signed condolences on the countless missing posters that had been put up during the search for the 22-year-old. After a two-minute silence in which locals reflected on the events of the last week, a cascade of balloons were released, followed by thousands of lanterns which lit up the night sky. In the Facebook group set up to help find Sean, one comment read, Absolutely amazing turnout. Every balloon and lantern flew with nothing but love for Sean. I didn't know her personally, but I think Swindon's Angel is a befitting name for someone who touched so many hearts. I hope with time her family and friends will take comfort from knowing so many people felt their pain and wanted to be there to show support. Sean's family paid tribute to a bubbly, friendly and caring, loving girl who was instantly likeable, beautiful and considerate. Sean's father Mick, who was addressing the press for the first time from Gable Cross Police Station, said, Although our pain at this time is raw and overwhelming, our memories of Sean will be a comfort to us in the dark days ahead. We would like to firstly thank Stephen Fulcher and his team for their inexhaustive work in finding and bringing Sean back to us so speedily. Elaine and I, Kevin, Liam, Laura and Aidan, would like to thank all our friends and family for their continued support. Words cannot express how comforting this has been for us. We would also like to thank the community in Swindon for their overwhelming kindness and support. The sheer numbers of people involved in the searches, the vigils, flowers, lantern lighting and murals to Sean are incredibly touching and beautiful. Thank you. As police concluded their search in Eastleach, they turned to the National DNA Database for clues as to who the remains of the second victim might belong to. The database contained samples recovered from crime scenes, along with convicted criminals or those people awaiting trial. Authorities warned the press that if a no-hit was found, it could well take longer. They stressed that if the identity of the person were found, police would be contacting the family first before any details were released to the media. At the time, other than her age, police would not reveal any further information, though there was some speculation that the remains could belong to Linda Rizal, who had vanished from Swindon in 2002. The 41-year-old's body was never found, but Linda's husband Gary was convicted of her murder, though insisted he was innocent. Also, Kate Prout from the neighbouring city of Gloucester had disappeared before her husband was convicted of her murder in 2010. He also protested his innocence at the time. And then there is the case of Hai Nguyen, 
who had disappeared from her temporary accommodation during 2005. The Vietnamese national was 20 when she was last seen. She had arrived in the UK during 2003. Those people who got to know her believed she might have travelled to London, but she had not been heard from since. Finally, there is Sally Ann John, who disappeared in 1995. A sex worker who lived on Kimmeridge Close in Nyth, Swindon, Sally Ann had spoken of making a fresh start. But after being spotted during the late evening of September 8th near Swindon train station, she was never seen again. At the site in Eastleach where the remains had been found, a small wooden cross was planted in the ground, and officers working the scene placed a bouquet of flowers nearby. An attached note read, To an unknown lady, now you can rest in peace. In a bail hearing at Bristol Crown Court, Christopher Halliwell confirmed his name before his barrister Darren Samat informed the court that no application would be made. Halliwell again dressed smartly in a suit and shirt was closely monitored by four security guards who gave him little room to move as he was marched to and from the court. Mr Justice Burnett addressed Halliwell and his counsel, saying, I'm quite satisfied that bail is inappropriate given the nature and circumstances of the alleged offences. There is a real risk of failure to surrender. There is insufficient information at this stage for the possibility of bail to be considered. Before the hearing, Sean O'Callaghan's mother gave her first interview about the discovery that her daughter's body had been found. Elaine spoke with the Swindon advertiser, and said, quote, When the detective Steve Fulcher told us there were mixed feelings. It was the worst of the worst that I could have imagined, but they found her. That's what I felt when he said it. They've got her back. Her dad Mick just shook his hand and thanked him for finding our daughter. It was a relief in a way. I would have hated to live the rest of my life looking over my shoulder and looking at every brunette girl wondering if it was her. I don't know how other parents can cope with not knowing. I can't imagine never having closure. An inquest into Sean O'Callaghan's death was held the following day at Oxford Coroner's Court. It was believed that she had died from a combined effect of being stabbed in the neck and head, along with being strangled. One of the stab wounds was so deep it penetrated her skull. There were also signs of blunt force trauma to the head under skull fracture, along with significant areas of bruising. The bruising was most likely caused by either being punched or kicked, but the cause of the fracture could not be determined. There were also bite marks on one of her breasts. Some of Sean's clothes had been cut off, and her lower garments had been removed. That evening, a memorial walk was organised to pay tribute to Sean as a crowd of over 300 people traced her last steps from the entrance of the Suju nightclub. 
members of the public who took part carried posters which read, R.I.P. Swindon's Angel. An unearthly silence fell over the high street as the mourners wearing t-shirts adorned with Shan's face walked to Wood Street, then Devizes Road, before ending up in Lawn. A two-minute silence was then held after Father Mark Paris said a prayer of remembrance for the woman who had lost her life. Further walk was held by dog walkers who wanted to come together to remember Sean, and a minute silence was held before a football match at the county ground, the home of Swindon Town Football Club, where players and fans reflected on the loss. A message from Sean's family was read over the loudspeaker. We would like to express our sincere thanks for the support from the whole community of Swindon, which has been overwhelming and has helped us through such a difficult time. Karen Edwards had been looking for her daughter for almost eight years. She had turned to the internet in her efforts to track Becky down, in July 2010, she posted on missingyou.net, quote, Karen Edwards is trying to trace the location of Becky. She has been missing for eight years, and I need to contact her urgently, or just to know where she is, okay? Can anyone help? She could also be in the Bristol area. On April 4th, 2011, what would have been Becky's 29th birthday, police arrived at the home of Karen Edwards. following day, Detective Superintendent Stephen Fulcher held a press conference at Gable Cross Police Station. He confirmed that the second body found in Eastleach had been identified through DNA analysis, which matched at a probability approaching one in a billion. Um, as you're aware, um, as part of the investigation into Sean O'Callaghan, we searched a field in Eastleach in Gloucestershire where we discovered human remains. Um, since we spoke last, we've been searching the DNA database and seeking to um, develop a DNA profile from the bones that were recovered. Yesterday, we were able to provide a positive hit from the DNA database and identify um, that body as that of Rebecca Godden, known to her family and friends as Becky. It was Becky's birthday yesterday. She would have been 29 years old. As you'll appreciate, Rebecca's family and loved ones are trying to come to terms with this devastating news and we're affording them all the comfort and sympathy we can at this time, helping them to come to terms with their grief. I'm sure you'd join me in extending our deepest sympathies to the Godden family and I would ask that we respect their privacy at this most difficult time. I can tell you that Rebecca was from the Shaw area of Swindon um, she was reported missing to the National Missing Person Helpline in 2007 by her family. 
um, when they became concerned at the lack of contact with Becky. At this stage, it isn't clear how uh, Rebecca came to meet her death, but further work is ongoing to help us uh, determine this. Inquiries are continuing to establish the circumstances surrounding Becky's disappearance and subsequent death. Part of these inquiries will be to speak to Chris Halliwell, and we will then make a decision on any appropriate steps uh, to take. What I'm appealing for is um, anyone who knew Rebecca Golden from 2002. Becky Gordon Edwards had convictions for solicitation, and in 2002 she had also been convicted of burglary, which had been flagged on the National DNA database. As more information was slowly revealed, it was reported that Becky's remains had been found in a shallow grave. There were no signs of any clothing. A post-mortem could offer little information, as all that was found were partial skeletal remains. Police were attempting to trace Becky's last movements and appealed to the public for anyone that might have been in contact with her from 2002 onward. It was believed she may have been killed during the beginning of 2003, although as few people had contact with her, it was difficult to pinpoint her movements. At the time of the discovery, Karen Edwards did not wish to give interviews, and along with her partner, she visited the area where her daughter's body was found. She laid flowers in a white teddy bear next to the small wooden cross that had been placed there by police officers working the scene. A card was left by Becky's mother that read, when you were born and I put you into my arms, I cried with joy. I loved you so much. But today I am crying for you, my beautiful girl. I loved you the day you were born, and I love you even more today. I was always there for you, my baby girl. Words can't be said about how I feel. Sleep tight, my darling. Love, Mum and Charlie. As the investigation continued, with both of the victims having been identified, the focus was turning to the man leading the inquiry. Detective Superintendent Stephen Fulcher was praised for his hard work and dedication. Members of the public were requesting that he be knighted, with others suggesting he should receive the Pride of Britain Award. Over 3,000 people had joined a Facebook group called Well Done Detective Superintendent Steve Fulcher with countless comments thanking him for his work during the investigation. In a modest response, he in turn thanked the hard work from both the police force and the community. He said, I must stress that this is not about me. My team and the whole of Wiltshire Police performed extraordinary and exemplary acts of selflessness during the past week. I am aware of officers and staff declining to stand down, working extremely long hours, sacrificing their personal lives to do what we could to find Sean. I was really affected by the community's response. Whole coaches were booked. People took time off work to come and help with the search. I thought the Lantern Parade on Saturday was the most moving tribute to Sean imaginable. Thank you all, Steve. While on remand, 
Christopher Halliwell was brought into an interview room at Longlarton Prison in Worcestershire, where he was being held. Via a video camera, his image was transmitted to Bristol Crown Court, where it was agreed that he could be interviewed concerning the death of Becky Godden Edwards. D.S. Fulcher watched on as Halliwell, dressed in a baggy shirt and tracksuit bottoms, gave the briefest of answers to three questions posed to him. Halliwell's counsel made no request for bail before he was told that his client would remain in custody until a plea and case management hearing that would take place in July. Becky Godden Edwards' mother Karen, stepfather Charlie and aunt Tracy Mullane addressed the press at Gable Cross Police Station. Through a stream of tears, Karen Edwards said, My daughter has been murdered and to be given the news on what would have been her 29th birthday, the 4th of April. We just can't believe it. And after everything she's been through in her troubled life, she didn't deserve that. Further tributes were paid by Becky's friends, who had last seen her in 2002. They organised a public gathering at Queen's Park where they released hundreds of balloons into the sky to commemorate the passing of a young woman who many had hoped would one day reappear. Inspired by the tributes paid to Sean O'Callaghan, Leanne Goldsmith, an old friend of Becky's who organised the event, said, She used to live with me and my mum, so we became very close. She was a beautiful person. Becky's father John Godden also spoke up for the first time since the discovery that the remains found in Eastleach belonged to his daughter. He said, I am a shattered man and my heart is broken and nothing seems worthwhile. Becky has always been a daddy's girl. She always stood by me through thick and thin. Becky would not have had anything said about her dad. I adored her so much she could do no wrong. She will always be daddy's girl. My sweet angel will never be forgotten. We had so many lovely times together. Becky was my soulmate and will remain in my broken heart forever. When we meet again, daddy will keep baby cosy and warm. Sleep in peace, my sweet child. Lots of love from daddy. Sean O'Callaghan's funeral was held on April 18, 2011 at Kingsdown Crematorium. Over 100 mourners attended the private emotional ceremony, along with Sean's family. As the coffin had slowly travelled to the service through the streets of Swindon's Old Town, silence fell as hundreds of locals gathered on the pavement to watch the cortege pass. D.S. Fulcher, who had been leading the inquiry, watched on during the ceremony as Elaine helped Sean's younger brother place a single flower on her coffin. Four miles south of Kingsdown Crematorium, police continued in their search to find further clues that might link Halliwell to any other disappearances. Officers were spotted in his back garden with radar-detecting equipment as they dug up turf before moving to another property on Ashbury Avenue 
where the suspect had lived with his first wife a decade earlier. The investigation at Halliwell's home followed the closure of the high street in Old Town, as police took photographs of the Suju nightclub to aid in the impending court case. Just over seven weeks after the discovery of Becky Godden Edwards' body, Christopher Halliwell appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court, charged with her murder sometime between December 27, 2002 and January 1, 2006. A few days later at Bristol Crown Court, Halliwell appeared via video link at a bail hearing, saying little and only confirming his name. Recorder of Bristol Judge Neil Ford QC confirmed that a trial for the murder would go ahead the following year. Towards the end of July 2011, a funeral service for Becky Godden Edwards was held at Swindon's Christ Church. The service was open to the public and lay minister Margaret Williams told mourners, It's always an emotional time, but this one is even more so because of the tragic circumstances of her death. All the time she's been missing, the family never gave up hope. So this, in a way, is their way of welcoming her home. Mourners were asked to wear a hint of pink, as it was one of Becky's favourite colours. The order of service saw a picture of Becky when she was 15 at her mother's wedding, before she lost touch with her family. Becky's cousin read a poem to the attendees which read in part, We wish you were still here with us, and we didn't have to say goodbye. We will love you and miss you forever, until the day we are together. Sleep tight, my angel. As the case against Christopher Halliwell for both the murders of Sean O'Callaghan and Becky Gordon Edwards slowly progressed towards trial, it was not surprising that the charges did not seem to be moving at the same speed. After all, it was a complicated investigation, and having few details of Becky's whereabouts in the years leading up to her death made the inquiry even more difficult. Via video link from Long Larton Prison, Halliwell appeared before Bristol Crown Court in what was expected to be a plea and case management hearing, though no charges were discussed in relation to Becky's death. Halliwell was kept in custody, and in November it was agreed that he would have his time limit extended until his trial, which was now due to start during March 2012. As the new year was rung in, the case was making its way through the courts, with the end of January bringing four days of legal arguments at Bristol Crown Court. Halliwell had yet to enter a plea. However, reporting restrictions were put in place by a judge, which only fanned the flames of interest to understand what was taking so long. It had almost been a year since Sean O'Callaghan had first disappeared. Following another round of legal arguments, the trial date was postponed again. Three months later at the start of May, in yet another hearing, members of the victims' families watched on from the public gallery, this time at Preston Crown Court, nearly 200 miles away. They heard yet more legal arguments, hoping for a court case that had initially been scheduled for January, then March, 
and now, well, they weren't even sure. Though Halliwell said little dressed in a prison-issued t-shirt and tracksuit, confirming only his name, his defence counsel sparred with the prosecution, but the contents of their conversation could not be reported. It would not be until May 31st, 2012, over 13 months since his arrest, Christopher Halliwell finally submitted a plea, insisting he did not kill Sean. A provisional trial date was set for February 2014. As preparation for the trial continued, Friday, October 19th, 2012, started much like any other. The general public were expecting another frustrating delay with a case that was dragging on for far too long. At 12 o'clock from Bristol Crown Court, the judge requested that all mobile phones be switched off. But within the hour, Sean's family would finally learn the truth. Christopher John Halliwell pleaded guilty to her murder. Around 2.53am on March 19, 2011, shortly after Sean O'Callaghan had left the Suju nightclub, she had first walked the high street towards home, towards safety but then ended up in Halliwell's taxi. He had finished work in the early hours of March 19th, switching off his GPS taxi handset at 2.13am, then began cruising around the streets of Old Town in his green Toyota Avensis for approximately 40 minutes. The events of what ultimately happened are unclear, as there is only Halliwell's admissions to rely on but what can be ascertained is that Sean got into his taxi. She had spent a night out eating and drinking with friends and so must have decided to get a taxi rather than walk alone. Although there are no details regarding what happened next, Sean was incapacitated and taken to Savanac Forest where it was believed she was murdered. It was later understood Halliwell visited the site four times, travelling around the area looking for another remote spot. He then moved the body to where it would be ultimately found near Ruffington. Also based on the handset Halliwell used in his taxi, he visited the cul-de-sac where Sean lived. Police were quick to trace his vehicle through the use of CCTV and ANPR cameras. He was placed under surveillance before he was arrested on the morning of March 24th in a supermarket car park. He was questioned by Detective Superintendent Fulcher, who ultimately persuaded Halliwell to provide the location of not only the body of Sean O'Callaghan, but the body of Becky Godden Edwards. While under surveillance, Halliwell was spotted cleaning his car on the late afternoon of March 22nd. In a somewhat strange series of events, Halliwell then travelled to a police station, informing them that his daughter had reported being raped the previous evening. Later that same night around 10pm, he was seen discarding the seat and headrest covers of his taxi in a bin, along with disposing of a bottle of perfume in a dog waste bin. The items were subsequently retrieved. In the early morning hours of March 23rd, Halliwell was still under surveillance and spotted travelling on the A420 Oxford Road and then on to the B4507, near where Sean's body was ultimately found. 
unbeknownst to Halliwell, he managed to lose the police surveillance team that had been following him. Once he was relocated, he was then witnessed burning a number of items by the roadside, that they were too damaged by the fire to understand what they were. These observations were fed back to Detective Superintendent Fulcher. Police would find trace amounts of Sean's blood on items Halliwell had discarded, along with on the rear of his taxi. Further forensic evidence tied him to the crime when police took a swab from what looked to be a bite mark on Sean's left breast. It revealed a mixed profile that contained components of Halliwell's DNA. While experts sought to confirm it was indeed a bite mark, they were unable to verify it was Halliwell's as he refused to provide a dental impression. Sean's body was found face down with her lower clothing removed. Partially concealed, her body had been positioned out of view after it had been thrown down a steep bank. The weapon which had been used in the killing was believed to be a knife. Halliwell often kept one in his car. During mitigation, Richard Latham QC recounted Halliwell's recollection of the events in which Sean got into his taxi but shouted at him when he drove the wrong way. Latham said, quote, as he brought the taxi to a halt. He hit her to try and control her and resulted in the next few seconds to the knife. He acknowledges that he completely lost his temper. There was no question of any self-defence here. It was unlawful behaviour. Richard Latham addressed the judge and said that even the prosecution's best evidence could not conclusively prove there was a sexual motive in the attack. He recommended this should be considered when Judge Justice Cox was deliberating on a sentence. Each member of Sean's family provided a victim impact statement. Her boyfriend Kevin Reeps read, This all ended on Thursday when my heart was ripped out. My life has been destroyed. Christopher Halliwell looked unfazed by anything that was going on in the courtroom. No tears, no smiles, no words, nothing. During sentencing, the judge faced Halliwell and said, I am satisfied on the evidence viewed culminatively that this was a murder involving sexual conduct. I reject the submission by your counsel that I cannot be sure of that on the evidence in this case. It was only when the judge passed a life sentence with a minimum term of 25 years that Halliwell appeared to react, muttering the words, Thank you. But, in spite of Sean O'Callaghan's family finally learning the truth as to what happened, this would not be the only revelation in the courtroom. Detective Superintendent Stephen Fulcher, the man who had led Operation Mayan, tracked down Halliwell, found the locations where the two victims had been buried, and ultimately obtained Halliwell's guilty plea for Sean O'Callaghan's murder, had been suspended from duty a month earlier was no longer an active police officer. The Independent Police Complaints Commission were carrying out an investigation in which it was being alleged that Fulcher had, quote, inappropriate contact with the media. Not only that, but the evidence that Fulcher had gathered on Halliwell for the murder of Becky Godden Edwards was deemed inadmissible and he could not be charged. It would seem, as far as the press were concerned, that Becky Godden Edwards' killer had got away with murder.
This is the end of part one. To hear more on the investigation and what happened next, please tune in tomorrow. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information, please see our show notes or visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.